Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Earrings Off. We want to invite you to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. You can find us on Facebook at Earrings Off Podcast and on Instagram at The Earrings Off Podcast. Welcome to Earrings Off. I'm Lou. And I'm Teresa. Let's get started. Thanks so much, Rose, for joining us today on today's episode of Earrings Off. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. Well, I tell you, so am I. So, uh, Rose, tell me about your journey to becoming a speech therapist. I actually had no idea what I really wanted to do with my life. And I was a senior in high school. My mom is a retired teacher. She was teaching okay. a career course okay. and she gave me an a career assessment and it said speech therapist. And I thought, huh, never heard really? of that before. Yeah. Never had had speech. And we had a family friend that was a speech therapist. Uh-huh. So I shadowed her for, you know, a day and uh-huh. she worked in so many different settings. Like I got to see a nursing home and I got to see school and I got to see home health. And I was like, wow, this is such a cool profession where you're helping people every day. There's science, which I like, but yeah. not a lot of math, which, yeah. was never my, <laughs> yeah. which was never my strong. I'm with suit. you. I'm with you. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. And so soft or um, freshman year, spring semester in college, I declared my major and, and that was it. And I've been a speech therapist for 20 years and I just really love it. Yeah. So that was a great fit for you, but you didn't know anything about it before that. Nothing. Didn't know what it was. Yeah. No clue. Okay. Wow. (laughs) That's good stuff. Yeah. So um, Rose, talk to us, talk to me a little bit about what should a child's communication look like at 12 months of age? Yeah. So at 12 months of age, and this is me speaking as a speech therapist and also a mom to three kids. So yeah. we're all typical language learners. Um, and so it was cool to see their uh, language develop that way. But, you know, at 12 months, a, a child is going to start, um, you know, looking at you. They're going to start responding to their name when you call mm-hmm. their name. Yeah. Usually, yeah. at least for my son, he was always doing something naughty. Um, <laughs> they they're going to play simple games like peekaboo. Mm -hmm. And things like that, which is so fun. They love to get your attention and do that. They're going to start, you know, saying one or two words. That's usually Mm -hmm. when those Mm -hmm. first words are going to start to emerge. And so it's it's such a cool time with communication to see um, all that kind of taking place. And so usually around 12 months, that's kind of what a typical um, child who's developing is going to look like with their communication. Okay. Okay. That's very helpful because... I have a grandchild that's 12 months. And of course, typical (laughs) grandmom, I'm always asking my daughter-in-law, my son, what's he saying? Is he saying anything? (laughs) You know, because you're always as a parent or just as a concerned family member, you want to know how they're developing. So, yeah. Absolutely. So um, talk to me a bit about what about at 24 months, Rose? How is that different? Yeah. So at 24 months, they're going to start responding to some simple questions. They're going to listen to some simple stories or some simple songs that you're starting to sing them. I know for my kids, I really love, um, you know, reading to them at night. And so, you know, books like Pete the Cat 
or Llama Llama. That's like a whole series that's pretty popular. So mm-hmm. board books, they're they're usually able to attend for those. Um, they're going to start using lots of different words at that age. You know, they're kind of exploring their environment. And they might ask simple questions, you know, like where's daddy or, mm-hmm. you know, just little things like that about mm-hmm. their day. And then at 24 months, roughly most kids are going to be starting to put two words together uh, okay. to start communicating for a variety of different purposes. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's critical as parents and caregivers that you stay engaged with the child. That you're yeah. communicating because I know like when our son was young, I just didn't do the baby talk rose. Yeah. You know, I just, I, I always spoke to him in right. sentences. And right. so I think that made a difference. Yeah, no, they say to use simple language. So that's yeah, one of yeah, the yeah. strategies. Yeah. Right. And you know, everybody's different, you know, before I had my own kids, and I would see really little clients, young clients. I probably wasn't like really <laughs> like very like energetic and right. fun. I, I don't know if that's not my personality, but now, you know, now that I have my own kids and I, and I have a handful of clients that I see through my private practice here in my hometown, you know, I just, you know, I understand how to talk to a two-year-old. You know what I right. mean? I think yeah. being a parent kind of gave me maybe the confidence or just, right. I just felt more comfortable that, but not everybody has to use that kind of, right. you know, single songy. You don't have to do that, but they do suggest talking, narrating your day for the kids. So they're kind of hearing the vocabulary and just using like simple language. So, yeah. So then Rose, when you, you talked about having younger clients, yes. Like what's the youngest client that you, I mean, how how does that look for young? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I have a client right now who's two. Hmm. So, and that client, um, has an autism diagnosis. And so I'm the speech therapist and there's a couple other providers that are helping, um, to support that child. And actually I just saw the child yesterday for speech. And so that was really exciting. And when a child is two, definitely either the team is involved or the parents are involved, you know, depending on where I'm seeing the student Mm -hmm. and, um, they're, you know, it's really play-based because they're two. So, you know, they just, it's a lot of play-based things, songs and working on attention Mm -hmm. and just back and forth communication. And it's, um, I I really love that age. It's very, it's very dynamic. You see so much growth at that age and it's, it's really exciting. But I I guess also, Rose, it would be, I don't want to say scary for parents, Mm -hmm. but I'm sure the parents come in and um, that's just a rough time for them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting you bring that up because I work three days a week. I work as a middle school, high school speech therapist. And I always say that high school meetings feel a lot like preschool meetings. So I've done just preschool before. And it's kind of like in preschool, sometimes children are getting a a diagnosis or their parents are just kind of finding out that maybe they are needing more support than typical peers. Right. And then at the high school level, um, parents are very, you know, like, oh my goodness, my child is becoming an adult. Like this is the end of public school. And so high school and preschool both feel very emotionally charged for very different reasons, but yeah, yeah, every parent is different, but parents are very, yeah, they seem to be very heightened depending on how I'm supporting the student, you know, at that age, they're just, they're worried because they're parents and they love their kids. (laughs) Rose also, when you talk about that's just a difficult time for parents, because, you know, parents, whether we like to admit it or not, we all have, 
you know, the idea of what we think our kids going to do or where they should be. So even though you try your best and you read all the books about comparing and all of that Mm -hmm. and to be sensitive to that, and part of that is just trying to make sure your kid's okay and that you're providing what you need to provide as a a parent for your child. So uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's the thing too, is that every parent you know, you never want your child to struggle, right you, you, right? you never want your child to struggle. So, you know, some people say autism is a gift and every brain is beautiful. And that's very, very true. And I believe yeah. that, but I think sometimes online and the, in the kind of Facebook groups I'm in, sometimes parents kind of get some negative feedback for how, what the interventions that they're trying, which I think is right. sad because every parent just wants their child to be happy. Absolutely wants their child to be an independent communicator. Nobody wants their child to struggle. So then what can I do if I'm worried about my child's communication? Yeah. So if you're worried about your child's communication, and it really depends on your child's age. So if your child is under the age of three, there are different government programs that um, you could look up in your area and they will come out and provide an evaluation for your child and or potentially provide services in your home. Mm -hmm. If your child is three or nearing three, you can contact your local school district. So at that time, your local school district We'll provide an evaluation for you and we'll share those findings with you in a meeting. And then if your child does qualify for services, they will get services either um, center-based like where they're going in for preschool mm-hmm. or they will get services that are itinerant. So maybe somebody's coming to their daycare or maybe you're bringing your child in. Every district is different. Um, or they may say, you know what, your child what's hard about the public school is, you know, your child may benefit from some support, but the way that you qualify for services in a public school is just different. Um, So if you're worried about your child, you can at all times just go out and find a speech therapist who is either covered by your insurance or who is private pay. Mm -hmm. And you can always find somebody like that in your area, you know, as easy as a Google search to kind of get started on your journey before you start interviewing providers. Okay. Um, What about, what are some signs of autism? Yeah. So some signs of autism are, um, you know, delayed speech. So sometimes children will not um, start communicating verbally. Mm -hmm. Um, Other times children will have words and then they actually start to regress and they're not using the words they used to use. So it presents differently, you know, Mm -hmm. in in, in students. Um, Trouble with eye contact some autistic adults, I have my own podcast, autism outreach. Um, and some autistic adults have said that, you know, eye contact can be really uncomfortable, you know, and painful actually. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. you may see that as young as, you know, I have a friend who, um, has an online business and she has, you know, videos of her son's third birthday. And I think the third birthday was like the day after he was diagnosed as having autism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's in his diaper because he won't wear clothes and, you know, they're singing happy birthday, but he's not attending to anybody. He's not interested. Mm -hmm. They're calling his name. He's not attending. So kind of that, and and it's different, you know, it's a spectrum. So everybody is going to have things that um, are presented differently, but those are some of the things, um, you know, that might happen when a child is very young, they may not 
share and shared activities. Like we were talking about playing peekaboo and, Mm -hmm. you know, they may just not do those types of things. They may be more centered on um, what they want to do, how they want to play with the toys. They might play with things in a different way than um, typical learners. They may be more ritualistic, kind of that hallmark thing is, you know, and I actually just saw a child yesterday for teletherapy. Uh, We were doing five little monkeys jumping on the bed. So Mm -hmm. she loved the monkeys. It was super cute activity. Um, And then she was playing with them afterwards and she lined them up. Um, you know, instead of kind of interacting with the monkeys, which is totally fine. Mm -hmm. We're not going to say that's the wrong way to play with them, but it is something that autistic individuals tend to do. Okay. So, but well, now, of course, or I shouldn't say now, but of course, people are more aware of autism and their services, but are there cases where adults who've never been diagnosed as autistic now, because I'm I'm hearing about that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I actually just had the opportunity to interview Billy Mayfair, who is actually a pro golfer. And he uh, is he is in his 50s, I believe. Mm -hmm. I interviewed him a couple months ago. It's going to air in April, but he was diagnosed as an adult. And so he kind of always had some things that were coming up in his life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he was he's married. He has Mm -hmm. the child. He's Mm -hmm. a professional golfer, you know, he has all these things, but you know, he really didn't like ever want to sit with people at lunch when he was growing up, like on the tour, that was kind of a barrier for him. He, Mm -hmm. people kind of thought he was standoffish. He came off as cold and, you know, he just didn't, you know, necessarily understand all these kind of hidden social rules that everybody kind of makes up. So, you know, his wife really urged him to get diagnosed. Um, and he did, he received an, an autism diagnosis a couple of years ago. And so I always think that's really fascinating too, because I've had a couple people on my podcast that are autistic adults who haven't been diagnosed right. until they're adults. And then yeah. they realize like, oh man, like this makes so much sense. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. I've read about those cases and that's mm-hmm. fascinating. Yeah. 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 So what, do you, what, what then? You know, once yeah. you get a diagnosis as an yeah. adult, then what? yeah, that's a great question. You yeah. know, I think everybody, like the people that I've had on the podcast, everybody works with things a little differently. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people have become like, you know, advocates. Like um, one of the people I had on, she's an autistic adult who's a female who's raising an autistic female child. So she does a lot of work um in the autism community. She's getting her PhD. Um, you know, some people may seek some support. Um, and it's really just different how it presents. Like I had one one person on Dr. Kerry Magro. Um, and he was non speaking at four. Now he has his PhD and he's done a TEDx talk and all these great things. And he said, you know, some people would look at me and say, it doesn't look like you have autism, which he gets that all the time, which isn't really the best thing to say to somebody, right. but, um, but people don't understand that. And, right. you know, he said, you know, I really have high support needs for sensory. Um, like he has a lot of sensory challenges, but mm-hmm. we would never be able to see that unless he shares that with us. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, so, and he's open about sharing his journey and things like that. So for him, you know, I think he has people in his life that maybe help support him. He has his own business and has a team and, you know, so I think everybody's needs are going to be different. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that just means seeking community with other autistic adults as Mm -hmm. well. So, but now let's step back a bit. So what do you do? What do I do if my child is diagnosed with autism. What then? Yes, I would say, you know, in try to seek services in real life. The the internet can just be filled of so many things and so many people telling you this, that, and the other. It's confusing. Um, I, 
Oh, it's very confusing. And you just never know because sometimes the loudest people are not always giving the best advice online. So I would try to seek in real life services, you know, would be everybody's going to have a different, um, you know, way that they want to help support their child. But, you know, I'm a speech therapist. So obviously I believe in speech therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, Speech therapy can be very, very impactful for children. Um, And, and, you know, I think it's really important to try to work with a speech therapist who understands autism and who has experience helping autistic learners, because, you know, it definitely is something that, um, you know, not everybody is, is comfortable doing or has a lot of experience doing. So, you know, I, I went to this conference once and the presenter said she saw somebody with a shirt on the front. It said, I have autism. And on the back, it said, don't waste my time. And I really love that because Mm -hmm. I always think that, you know, every speech therapy session I have with my students, whether it's in school as a school-based therapist or whether I'm in the home and I'm talking with parents, I want to make sure that it's a functional session, that I'm helping to support my student, and that every single day we're making gains towards that meaningful progress for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I want to go back for a minute. Um, A second ago, you said um, you had um, a professional athlete. I think it was that was non-speaking or professional Mm-hmm. That was nine speaking at four, mm-hmm. right? Yes. So, what what do you do to when they when they're nine speaking at four to get them to start talking? Children, I mean, yeah, yeah, how, yeah. How that's a get, that's yeah. a great question. I think what's so important is that you interview if you're a parent and you have a child with a disability and you're going to have providers in your life like a speech therapist or you may have an occupational therapist or you know you might want to use an intervention like applied behavior analysis which mm-hmm. is a pretty popular mm-hmm. um intervention you know you want to make sure that you're interviewing these providers so that whatever is taking place in therapy that you can generalize some of those strategies to mm-hmm. the home mm-hmm. environment because mm-hmm. that's why i really love my private practice because i see a very small hand picked, uh, select few students here in my area because that's all I have time for. But I love it because I can build such a rapport with parents. I'm in their house, so I see them Mm -hmm. in their home. And it's just so amazing to be able to talk to them about, well, what's going on, you know, when I'm not here Mm -hmm. or, you know, especially when I have one student I've been seeing almost a year, he has autism. Um, He was not really speaking when I met him. Now he's speaking in two word phrases and, and just saying so many cool things. But it's really been a journey with the parents as far as every single time I have a session, I write a note for them about this is what we worked mm-hmm, on, mm-hmm. you know, cause they're new to autism. They have another right. child who's typically developing. So they're all new to all the strategies. Um, and I'll say like, you know, we're going to work on joint attention. That's why I'm reading a book with him and it's okay. If he doesn't sit with me the whole time, you know, we'll try again. And like, you know, I'll keep reading the book and that's just like any, you know, my son, when he was little, he mm-hmm. wouldn't sit with me the whole time. Right. But I'm still reading it. I'm using funny voices and I'm trying to be right. engaging. And so I think just making sure that you're picking providers that are friendly, that um, are collaborative, because oftentimes when you have an autistic child, you are going to have a lot of people in your life. If that's the route you're choosing mm-hmm. as far as more intense therapy, you know, mm-hmm. you're going to have maybe home providers coming to your house. You're going to have occupational therapists, probably speech therapists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, not everybody wants to do that intensive route, but if you do, you know, you just want to make sure that everybody is collaborative and you can have meetings and you can ask questions um, that you feel comfortable doing that. That's what's really what's most important. Okay. So what is the most important strategy to use with children regarding communication? 
I think the most important thing is to be patient and to be flexible because just because a child mm. was able to say something one day that, you know, right. they may not feel like it the next day. Right. Mm-hmm. We, that's mm-hmm. why I always tell parents, like, I can't, I can't make your child talk. Right. There's this idea of building a connection before communication. And so, you know, as parents, parents are extremely nervous. Mm -hmm. I mean, for the most part that Mm -hmm. their child is not talking yet, no matter what's going on. And so I always talk with them and coach them and say, you know, this idea of joint attention, which just means I'm doing an activity with you. We both know that we're doing it together. And it's Mm -hmm. this idea of social engagement, um, which often is, is difficult for autistic learners. And so that idea of trying to embed these types of activities, which you can do when you're singing a song with a child, when you're reading a book with a child, you know, when it's bath time, Mm -hmm. um, you know, all these different playing with toys and things like that is that you really need to be flexible. If your child doesn't want to play with that activity that way, or Mm -hmm. they don't Mm -hmm. like that toy today Mm -hmm. that, you know, we kind of, maybe I always put on my little detective hat and say, okay, like I had the farm the one day with my one client and I was like, oh, this will be great. We're going to walk all the animals into the barn. Mm -hmm. And he didn't want to do that. I could see that he wanted to take an animal out. So Mm -hmm. I pivoted, I was flexible. So I put the animals in the barn and then we took turns taking them out. Mm -hmm. So that's okay. It's not about like, well, we're going to do it this way. And that's the way to do it. You know, you have to be really flexible. You have to see these little teachable moments. And, you know, sometimes the parents I'm working with will go, well, how did you know to do that? And I'm like, you know, I've been doing this 20 years, right? So Mm -hmm. I hope that I have a leg up on somebody that that doesn't have the same area of expertise, but I think really just kind of knowing your kids and kind of staying in the moment, you know, Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and I think that's being patient and being flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Great information. So, how can speech therapy help um, a child with autism? Yeah, speech therapy is just such an amazing um, field, and we can just help with so many things. So, you know, mm-hmm. I support some students who are just starting to talk. Like yesterday, mm-hmm. I was working with somebody and uh, through teletherapy and I was playing a song and she said fish. And when I saw her last week, she didn't say anything, not one wow. word for 30 minutes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was so cool. Yeah, I mean, this is what's so amazing is that, you know, sometimes you can help students who are just starting to say first words. Mm-hmm. Uh, I support high school students who are working on vocational skills and mm-hmm. are working in supported job employment. So it's really a continuum and we really help with the understanding of language. So following directions, expressive language. So, you know, being able to label things in your environment, being Mm. able to have a conversation Um, and then, you know, social language pragmatics too, you know, like Mm. things like, you know, engaging in small talk at work, you know, Mm. some of those things I do try to help some of my older students with not because Mm you know, some of us may not like small talk, but what's hard about those soft skills, especially for vocational things is that sometimes if you're not able to do those small things, it it just makes the work environment Mm -hmm. difficult. Mm -hmm. Even if you have a job coach, and even if I, as a speech therapist, do a lot of training for the team about autism and how this person may interact in the environment, I do think it's important just to for autistic individuals to have that information mm-hmm. should they want to, you know, engage in those types of social skills too. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, um, Rose, when years ago, I used to be a medical social worker. And when somebody was diagnosed with a new condition, I used to do, um, you know, sessions with just, it was beyond just the person that was sick because you had family members and the, you know, a lot of other folks involved in their lives. So what, what are you doing to make sure that, you know, the siblings are brought into this. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. Or any other family members that may interact that they are knowledgeable and know uh, what to do to yeah. help. You know, yeah, as that's a, a great question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I'm in the home environment, it's just so much easier because, you know, some mm, of my clients have siblings. And mm. so sometimes, you know, if it's summer and they're mm. like around, you know, like mm. I'll include them in the sessions and things like that. Um, if it's more like a school based client, I really just tried to provide, provide information to mm. um, the parents mm. and and hope that they would then provide information to siblings and things right, like that. Right. But I did have an outpatient once who, had, um, high support needs. He was nonverbal. He used an iPad, a a device to communicate. And I saw him for, as his school therapist, it was a special school for Mm -hmm. students with autism. And then I saw him for outpatient therapy. And I remember we were working on connect four, um, where we weren't like trying to strategize. We're just Mm -hmm. taking turns, putting Mm -hmm. the um, different pieces in. And I told his mom, because I would see her, you know, at outpatient um, drop off. And I said, Oh, you know, so-and-so is doing so great with this game. He loves it. And so she bought that game for Christmas because they uh, mm-hmm. celebrated Christmas. And so she told me that him and his sister were able to play that game in a modified way. And that was mm-hmm. really nice because yeah. that's, that's right. what's so hard is that sometimes as autistic children get older, if they do have high support needs, and it's not the case for every family, but for some families, it's hard to decipher what is a good shared activity that right. they can do together. Yeah. That's yeah. fun that the child can do and feels confident doing. Right. Yeah. Um, so those types of moments are, are really exciting and things yeah. that I like to, to reflect back on. So, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, those are all of the questions that we have for you today. But um, Rose, please share with us if you've got any uh, parting information for our audience. Um, Certainly, we'd like to hear that. Absolutely. If you ever have any questions about supporting your own autistic children, make sure to visit me at abaspeech.org. I have a really wonderful parent-friendly class called Start Communicating Today, which Mm -hmm. is all about how to help your child start communicating right now. And I also have a weekly podcast that comes out every Tuesday called Autism Outreach, and it is all about autism and communication. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here today, Rose, at um, Earrings Off, and you provided a wealth of information for our audience. So we very much appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for having me.